Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, January 6th, and before we get into any of the breakdowns, West off, I need fireworks, I need a lion's roar, and that's right, give me some sirens in the background because we have officially begun the 2020 ATP and WTA seasons, and boy, are we excited to get back into the action here at Crack Rackets. Tons of tennis going on throughout the world this week. We've got three WTA events, two of which are, I think, one in Australia, one in New Zealand, one in China. We've got the Doha ATP event going on, as well as the ATP Cups inaugural event, and we will get into all of that action, of course. We've also got Challenger action. We've also got Futures action. You know, personally, we are so excited at Crack Rackets to be the official media partners of this week's Ann Arbor Challenger. I, myself, will be doing play-by-play commentary for the quarterfinal finals, semifinals, and final round matches, as well as all of the night matches throughout the week. Listeners, I'm sure Dalton and Westoff are going to be hitting you with all of that information on social media, so be on the lookout for that. But above all else, we are just thrilled. You know, we can prognosticate, we can predict, pontificate, uh, all of the P's uh, as we talked about tennis and previewing the 2020 season in December, but it's go time now. We have matches to look at, results to break down, tangible things to discuss, and as I mentioned, I am thrilled to be doing that here today. It will just be me steering the ship on today's podcast, although moving forward, we'll get back to our regular schedule of Jamie and Matt on Wednesdays, myself, and you know whether it be Max Rothman, Kale Hammond, some guest we are fortunate enough to bring on, our usual wondrous crew uh, at Cracked Rackets. Again, we are just so excited to have tennis to talk about. It, it was only a month, and in the grand scheme of things, really short offseason, and we've talked about, you know, as we mentioned in August, uh, September, October, yeah, the season, you know, when it Towards the end, it drags on a little bit, but boy, are we refreshed and ready to go. It feels like it's been ages since we've had new tennis results to talk about. So with that in mind, let's get into the action. And I think the place I have to start for you listeners, as I mentioned, it is the inaugural ATP Cup is going on right now in Australia. I want to say it's 16 teams competing. It's similar to a Davis Cup. If you haven't figured figured out the format yet, you haven't been able to follow ATP Cup, similar to Davis Cup. Uh, only a bit smaller and again all in one place for this ATP Cup. It's by country. You know the top two ranked singles players represent the the, the country in the two singles rubbers and then a doubles rubber. Best two out of three. Now there are ATP points at play. Uh, there are other ranking issues, some minute, uh, not minute, I should say, some details that. Uh, I think we'll get into depth further when we have other guests on, but for now, what I really want to talk about is the tennis we've seen, because again, you know, you look at preseason events in the past, and yeah, there are ATP events, we'll talk about Doha, um, and there are obviously, you know, the Brisbane and Auckland and all these ATP things you will see before the Australian Open, but before this, I remember last year, Mubadala, the... uh, 
exhibition, I suppose, event that they have at the end of 2018, or at the end of the year. This They had it last year, obviously, in 2019, but the year before, the one I watched closely was 2018. I remember Dominic team really struggling in that Mubadala, but I also remember thinking, I, I really shouldn't take any big you know, results away from this event because it's an exhibition. These players really not giving it their all. And I have to say, the first takeaway I have from this year's ATP Cup is I think these events, these results matter. I think you see the buy-in from the players. I mean, all of the top-ranked guys, we don't have a Federer, but we do have a Rafa Nadal. We do have a Novak Djokovic. We do have Dominic Team, Daniil Medvedev, Stefano Tsitsipas, Alex Zverev. That's six of the top seven players. Now, no Berrettini, but again, Gael Monfils, David Goffin, Roberto Bautista, Fabio Fognini, Denis Shapovalov, Diego Schwartzman. You send that, it's 12 of the top 14, 17 of the top 20. I mean, we are we have buy-in from the players here, certainly. And beyond that, you know, it helps to have the players all congregated in one place, of course. But watch the tennis. These guys are so invested. You look on the sidelines, and the one I'll point to from last night, Gael Monfils and Benoit Paire screaming uh, on the sidelines with Coach Jill Simone as their guys, Mahout and Roger Vasilen, were playing the doubles rubber against Serbia. You look at just... You know, the way Shapovalov, the way Dimon, I mean, it's a home of match for Australia, but the Australian team, the way they're really buying into the crowd. And actually, before we even get into the tennis, I should say one of the big storylines, we are all aware of how, um, you know, the community in Australia are now hurting so badly from these terrible wildfires. And to see so many players, not just in Australia, and of course, it started with players like Sidney Campbell, with players, you know, Nick Kyrgios and Alex Dimenauer and all of these players agreeing to donate money for each ace they hit. And by the way, if I'm a returner, I'm letting whoever I'm playing, if they've agreed to do that, they're acing me the first point of every match. Now, hopefully, you know, in response, the Pearson hitting the ace will give me an ace back in the first return game of my match. But at the very get-go, I'm sending a message that this is the sort of effort we are all so in favor of. It's why sports can be so empowering, so joyful to watch, because it brings brings out the best in people and the best in society, the best in, you know, what we want uh, our citizens to model, what sort of, you know, lifestyle we want them to model and this sort of give, you know, the way these players are so generous, the way they're bringing uh, attention to something so devastating to so many in Australia is so admirable. And so, you know, as we say here at Crack Rackets, hey, great shot to you guys, because we are so, um, it's just such a cool thing to see. But you get back to the tennis itself, and the question for an event like this, you know, a Hopman Cup the year before, on you know, again, the fact that there aren't women in this ATP Cup, that would be the next dimension that would make this event, in my opinion, even better, and that's an issue to push to the side for now because I just want, again, focus on the tennis, not the ATP Cup as a whole. I think we'll reflect on that once the event ends later, say the things we liked, we didn't like, what to improve moving forward. Uh, but these guys clearly care. I mean, from the quality of the three-set matches, from the fact that we haven't seen anyone tank a match yet, it's just these guys are eager to get their 2020 seasons underway, and they have looked as though they're ready to roll, and especially the young guys participating in this event. And that's kind of, you know, talking about part one was, does this event matter? And I'm going to say, yes, it does. Thus far, you can tell these players are certainly giving you know, their maximum effort. And I know that's, you know, that's what we ask of these players anytime you play a professional match, but in an exhibition loose, for, you know, laid back format like this, maybe you'd see a little, you know, some easing off the gas, some 75%. Well, that has not been the case. And 
what I want to do is talk about the players, in my opinion, thus far, who have shown the most, you know, who have stood out the most. Just they look locked in, ready for this 2020 season. And again, even though it's only been a couple of matches, the takeaways I want to have are from a couple of guys and from mostly, I should say, predominantly young players who, again, this is the sort of event that appeals to them. They're getting shots at top 20, top 10 players early in the season. And not only, you know, not only are they getting those practice matches under their belt, but it's a chance for them to prove themselves heading into the 2020 season, gain some confidence, say, I am at this level. I can compete with any of my contemporaries at the top of the ATP rankings. And the guy I want to start with, a guy who's gone 2-0 and thus far, uh, two wins over players above his ranking point, and a guy who's just looked so relentless is Alex Dimenauer, the young Australian who entered the year ranked number 20 in the world. And in my opinion, you know, Australia 2-0, they've advanced to the quarterfinal round, but he's been the most impressive player of this ATP Cup. You start with just aesthetically, I may have mentioned this on Twitter, I think he grew another inch. Uh, if, if he didn't grow, you know, maybe it's only half inch, maybe it's more than an inch, but he has filled out, and you keep in mind, he enters this year age 20. You know, he's going to turn 21 during the 2020 season. He's not even close to his physical prime yet, and yet you never question Alex Dimenauer's physical skills. As quick as any player on the ATP Tour, his movement, I mean, the footwork is so contagious. His feet never stop moving, and that's why he's able to track. There's never an extra ball he can't track down, and you look at the first match he played against Alex Zverev of Germany, obviously Zverev, top 10 player. That match, such high quality tennis. Zverev goes up a set 6-4. I mean, if you don't have a weapon to hurt Alex Zverev, good luck beating him, right? Because 6-6, he moves as well as anyone that size ever has. He's so proficient from the baseline. He's had serving issues, believe me. We'll talk about Zverev in a second, but for Dimenauer to, to work his way into the match as long as he did, to just to last as long because Zverev races out 6-4-4-2 up a break. I mean, he was firing from all cylinders at the baseline and Dimenauer just could not penetrate him. But again, it's, you know, slow prodding, slow poking, just little stab by little stab. He works his way back into the match and ends up taking a 4-6-7-6-6-2 victory. And it's just on a hard court, you can't get a ball by the guy. And if he has a look at a ball, there's a chance he can hit a passing shot on it. There's the fact that he is a little bit taller, and the second serve still hangs, but you can see you know, the standard backhand when where depth was a problem early in his career. He's now getting that ball past the service line with depth. He's added a slice to his uh, repertoire, which I think it did a really good job of throwing Zverev off the pace, not just letting it be a baseline bashing fest, which Zverev was looking for. Uh, and then the forehand, really confident now stepping inside in on it, really confident stepping inside out as well. And with his footwork, when he can get around a ball, you just it's dangerous because he can do so many different things with and so I've just been so impressed by the way he played. And then obviously, uh, I think it was yesterday, maybe two days ago, when he played Denis Shapovalov. Shapovalov, a guy I want to talk about as well. It's looking great. Shapovalov beats Tsitsipas 6-6 six and six and just a, a, a no-brick of serve ball-bashing first uh, match occasion for both of those guys. You know, Dimenauer, again, outlasts Shapovalov. He understands there's going to be just waves of time. There's going to be a three to four game stretch in the match where, you know, serving wise, you just can't touch Shapoval. The serve plus one for him looking so good right now. So confident going big off of the backhand wing down the line. He had no problem playing his backhand uh, to Dimenauer's forehand and then opening up a backhand down the line for himself. And Dimenauer outlasted that as well. Six seven, six four, six two. He was shimmying his shoulders after he got the win at his bench. I mean, he's growing into his personality as well as his game. And I 
just think I know it's only two matches, but you know this is the this is a, Ben and I talked about in our GSP uh, when we broke down these next gen guys. This is a guy who he's just so physically fit. His his electric the, the way he plays the way he never say die attitude is so uh, captivating for fans and especially we're in his home country of Australia. If the draw breaks at right, watch out for this guy at the Australian Open. I mean, he didn't win the next gen finals last year, but he made the final. And there's always a next gen final guy who ends up in the Australian Open semifinal. Right now, I'm circling Alex Dimenauer as my young guy to break through because I think he has looked that good over the past three months. And honestly, you can make that same case for Denis Shapovalov, who gets a win over Tsitsipas, right? That's an incredible win and goes three sets here with Dimenauer. Uh, You could talk about the way he ended last year making the Paris Masters. Of course, we talked about him at length during our off-season preview. I think both of these guys have looked exceptional. I think they are making that jump. If I, you know, there's no better time to be a 1999er than right now because him, Shep, uh, Dimenauer, Shapovalov, I want to say Kesmenovich is also a 1999. I mean, these guys are nuts. They are just outstanding uh, tennis players, right? I mean, they're just playing such good tennis right now. Yeah, Kesmenovich, another 99. Mutet, he got a win in Doha, uh, I think this past week as well, or early this week as well. So the 99s look good, man. Davidovich Fokina, a 99er as well. This could be the year of the 1999s. I'm just dropping a little sneak peek for you now. And one guy, uh, you know, so Shapovalov, Dimenau are two of my most impressive performers thus far. Uh, we'll do a couple easy ones as well. I think Daniil Medvedev, he's carried his level over a great three-set win over Fognini, and then he gets a straight-set win over Isner, where I think it was like 0-3. It was like the worst Isner's ever lost in a two-out-of-three-set match, or I should say the least amount of games he's ever accumulated. And I mean, yeah, if you don't know Daniil Medvedev by now, you just haven't been watching. Uh, it was great. You know, all the Spaniards look great. Guy Monfils looks great. It was great to see Kevin Anderson back on court. I know he lost Djokovic. I think it was 6-6, six and six, but still, given how long of a layoff he had from injury, for him to get that result. And then I think last night he got a win over Christian Guerin, 6-0-6-3 as well. Great to see Anderson playing well. Obviously, new partnership with him and former USTA pro coach Diego Moyano. Uh, always great, you know, always refreshing for players when you get a new voice, a new perspective to approach the game with uh, from a new coach and you know hopefully we see a bounce back here from Kevin Anderson because I think he's still early 30s right and he's the way his height six eight there's a lot of good tennis left in him uh, so great to see him play this well introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com borna chorich another guy coming back from injury gets a big win for him in his first match over dominic team now he ended up losing in three sets uh in his second or in straight sets in his second match to a guy i definitely want to talk about but for chorich it's a big question mark here because he's a 96er and again Daniel Medvedev in 1996, or we saw him step up last year. We saw guys younger than Chorch begin to step up, and you look at their upsides. I think Berrettini's also a 96er, but he passed Chorch last year. Obviously, guys like Hatchinov, but then the Shapovalov, Diminu, or uh, you know, Zverev, Tsitsipas generation, they're all right there. If not, uh, they have surpassed him with results thus far. So, big year for Chorch, and to see him in ASICs, it felt weird. I mean, 
you lose Nike. Nike is the sponsor. I'm, I'm sure George, money-wise, you know, I'm sure Asics made it well worth his while. It's not a guy who's going to be struggling. Um, but it is weird, and it may speak to George's diminished standing amongst the, you know, conversation of who are the next young guys who are going to take over the ATP Tour, who are really going to step up. And it's too soon to write George off. I mean, physically, it's what we always called him. He got the nickname Baby Djokovic. You see his backhand down the line, you're like, oh, that's special. And the way he moves, the way he's clearly so into the game. But, I mean, it's just going to be an interesting thing to monitor because another guy younger than him who got a win over him, my maybe most impressive outside of Dimenauer thus far, my man, a guy Matt, Matt Stokowiak and I talked about in the mini break offseason preview, Hubie Hercatch, who knocks off Chorch 2-2 two and two in his first match of the tournament. He knocked off Diego Schwartzman uh, as well. I want to say that was a pretty—I want to say it was a straight—no, it was a three-set match. I watched it. So I, it was a 4-6-6-2-6-3 win for Hercatch. I mean, we talked about this at the mini break, so if you want to hear more on our thoughts on him, go check that out. But 6-5, good from both wings. Great anticipator, very comfortable moving forward, and the patience he showed for Schwartzman. The thing that you can have, you know, go wrong against Diego Schwartzman, you get anxious, you start pressing, uh, because Schwartzman, he's going to take balls early, he's going to make you uncomfortable, and you don't want to be scattering around the court playing Diego Schwartzman's game, who, you know, if if ground if majors were best of three ground stroke games to twenty one, he may have a couple major titles, but. The patience her catch showed, the ability to slow things down. He also works in his backhand slice. He's also comfortable hitting forehand slices on the run. Uh, I mean, just a great feel for the game. It feels like he's a locked-in Bernard Tomich, if that makes sense. Just the feel, the court sense he has in those ways. I'm not saying, you know, stylistically it's exactly the same, but they're both 6'5". They both both have, I mean, not that, again, I don't know why I'm drawing Tomich into this. Apologies, listeners. You're probably like, you're going to talk about Australian wildfires. I guess Bernard Tomich obviously is going to come up. But, yeah, I just, uh, I just, I, I just love Hubie's game. I just, I haven't seen, it. it you, it's just one of those things you watch. And you can tell that it's a guy who's never flustered on court. He, He's a guy who is always just, he just he can do anything from any it, it's just really interesting it's, it's such a different contrast uh to you know the big basher Shapovalov, FAA Rublev you watch the ball come off their strength and you're like yep those guys have it those guys are elite ball strikers Hubie Hercatch it's just a more all-around game it's not Medvedevian because I would say it's a little more topspin than that it's a little less you know low balls you're not bending over as much it's not angles but He's just a really fundamentally sound player, and to see him beat Schwartzman and Chorch in the fashions that he did, it bodes well for him. Another guy who, if you see him in the second week of the Australian Open, I would not be surprised at all. And then my last positive note, I have to mention a guy so excited, um, Yoshihida Nishioka, a guy who's now about a year and a half removed, maybe a little bit more, almost two years removed from ACL injury that, you know, he had broken into the top 75 around age 20, and then he was out for about a year. I mean, the young Japanese player, not only is the most infectious smile on the ATP Tour, I mean, the joy Yoshihida Nishioka plays with on court, it is palpable. It is contagious without question, but I mean... The firepower as well. He'll line up a backhand, and you're like, oh, here comes another short angle. Nope, he's smacking it down the line. I mean, the forehand, yeah, it's a severe, you know, Western grip, but the spin he's able to create, the height over the net, the depth of his shot, the different paces and angles, 
he's a really special, talented player. And I mean, for him, he got an oh no, I think pretty easy win in his first match. But then in the second match last night, uh, he knocks off Basilashvili six two six three. I mean, Basilashvili top twenty player. Basilashvili, a guy who you'd think with the weapons he has, if no if Nishioka leave that in Westoff, excuse me, if Nishioka would leave the ball short, you'd think that'd be perfect for Basilashvili to attack. I mean, no, Nishioka's combination of speed and, again, the variety he plays with, they've kept Basilashvili uncomfortable the entire time, and it was a really good match. I mean, Yoshi looks really good. You look at where he's entering coming into the year. Nishioka right now ranked approximately in—I apologize, listeners. I had it at the under-21 rankings, which he is no longer. We'll get a little refresh. This is a live look at stats. Nishioka enters the year right now ranked number 67, so— you know, for him to get some points out of these wins, that's actually big. Um, but he's still, he's probably going to have to play some Masters qualifying, which unfortunate for him. But, you know, he gets into that top 50. He gets a full season of not having to worry about qualifying. This is a guy who's going to get wins at the Masters level. This is a guy who I think is going to be really proficient during the hardcore portions of the year. I mean, we saw him make a run at Indian Wells last year before withdrawing with injury. He's so talented, so really excited to see what he's able to do. And again, all of these young guys, Dimonauer, Shapovalov, Herkatch, Chorich, Medvedev, uh, Nishioka, that they're playing this well this early in the year, I think bodes well for all of us who said, you know, maybe it's time for these young guys to really step up, and that's something we want to see in 2020. And it looks like they're ready to do that for us, so really happy to see that. You know, some of the other takeaways real quickly from ATP Cup, I know we're focusing on this a lot, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more in the days to come, but... Tsitsipas took a loss to Shapoval. I think he looks fine. Team, after that loss to Chorich, got a win over Schwartzman. So I think Team, you know, again, just finding the rhythm. Schwartzman, even in his two losses to Herkatch and Team, has looked pretty good. Novak Djokovic coming off of elbow injury, two wins under his belt. He's looked pretty good. Uh, Marin Cilic, two wins over not highly ranked players, but still for, at this point for him just to get two wins. I feel like that's big. I know FAA lost a match. Uh, I think it wasn't to Tsitsipas. Who did FAA lose to? It was in the next match they played. He lost to Millman. I didn't think that was a bad loss for FAA. I think he's looked fine as well. But two guys who I think rough starts to the year. John Isner, I mean, to take two losses, he loses, obviously, that uh, match um, to, again, there's so many matches here, but for Isner, uh, the losses he's taken thus far, you look, and he has taken losses to, again, this is what happens when you're scrolling, this is, there's so many results on these pages, see, I'm still rusty as well, I've got to write these results down, but, you know, for Isner to lose, as I mentioned, to Medvedev in the fashion that he did, 3-1, and one, I mean, you're only going to hold serve, what, four times, we'll say, in that match. And I imagine he didn't get a break. I, it's got to be better than that as you head into Australia. And then, you know, for Isner as well, in his first match to take a loss against Kasper Rude, 6 7 7 6 7 5. I'm not concerned because what Nadesner is clicking when the serve's firing, good luck beating him. I mean, if you can't break him, it's, if it's just going to be tiebreaker tennis and Isner got to two tiebreakers, I think he even had a match point, but he also ultimately lost uh, that tiebreaker 12-10-2 rude in the second set. I mean, again, not bad, but it, it's just, you know, for him, he's got some things to iron out. And then the player who's most concerning is Alex Svirov, who... You know, after being up a set and a break on Dimenauer, and then in that second match he played, losing one in four to Tsitsipas. You would have hoped the confidence had returned. I mean, he really did start to raise his level after the Labor Cup, and we've talked about that before, but 
It's the serving problems. If you're six six and your serve isn't your, you know, not your biggest weapon, but it isn't just rock solid. And it, early in his career, it always was. That's why the projections were so high for him because you're like, oh my god, what with this six six baseline freak? If he can, you know, serve like a six foot six human, good luck beating him. And it's just something's off he's you know he's cracking rackets he's yelling at his coaching box he's yelling at the team now Germany still scrapes out a 2-1 win over Greece and a fantastic 17-15 third set breaker win for Kravitz and Mies uh in the, for the doubles point and again that's half the fun of this ATP cup is that it sometimes if not often comes down to that doubles rubber uh, but for Zverev again you just an early Australian Open exit is worst-case scenario. You do not want that hanging over you to start the season, just another early exit at the Slam. So for him, he's got three weeks to find confidence, and obviously there will be a ton of events to do that. And in fact, you look at the ATP schedule, it's already underway. We have one ATP event this week in Doha. Uh, all the guys who are not at the ATP Cup obviously competing there. Stan Wawrinka in the number one seed. Uh, guys like Mikhail Yimmer, who we've grown to love. Obviously, Sasha Bublik, an early winner over Adrian Manorino. Courtney Moutet, a qualifier, gets a 6-4 and four win over Sangren. He'll now play the number four seed, Rayonich. Uh, Krajinovich Edmonds, a fun first-round matchup. Tiafo, the eight seed here, going to be fighting for those seeds. Need to get as many points as he can before that Australian Open quarterfinal comes off his resume. He'll play Fuksovic's first round. Joe Wilfred Songa, the three seed here. He's got the winner of Kesmenovich and Jordan Thompson. Laszlo Gier, the number five seed. And, of course, the number two seed, Andre Rublev, who is probably like, God, how, how good do I have to be to crack this Team Russia ATP Cup lineup? I mean, Hatchinoff's good, but... He's probably like, I feel like I was better than Hatchinov down the home stretch. He's probably a little salty. So if he comes out hot in Doha, I think that's going to be fun to see. And again, Rublev doesn't really have that many points to defend up through the first half of the year because he's coming off of injury. So he's a guy who could flirt with that top 15, top 10 range if he continues the level he showed at the end of last season. Uh, but yeah, so really fun event in Doha. We spent a lot of time on the ATP, so it's time to switch gears a little bit because we've got three WTA events going on as well. And I'm going to be honest, everyone on the WTA, they don't have the, you know, the Hopman Cup this week. So they're all out on tour. They're all playing in the three events. Let's start in Brisbane where we've got the number one player in the world, Ashley Barty, the number one seed. Uh, she is, I believe, no longer. I think Maria Sharapova pulled out of the event and the draw hasn't been updated, but she'll play the winner of Jennifer Brady and someone. Sloan Stevens in action here. Uh, we got number four seed early upset of the year. Elena Svitolina knocked off by Danielle Collins, who again has Australian Open semifinal points coming off of her resume as well. Uh, Collins with a one one and one win over Svitolina. That's an impressive way to start the year. Petra Kvitova in the draw. Donna Vekic in the draw. Sam Stozer, who knocked out Angelique Kerber, six and six, hoping to see a bounce back here, probably from both of those players. If you're a fan of them, Kiki Burton's Yastremska is a really fun first round matchup. Madison Keys in action. Kontave versus C. Uh, Sophia Kennan, a seven six six four winner over Sevastova. I believe she will now play the winner of Sakari and Naomi Osaka. Again, that's a blast. Uh, Striskova over Kanta, Risk over Mukova, Tamjanovic over Han. She now will play number two seed Karolina Pliskova. So really fun action in Brisbane. Over in Auckland, 
it honestly stays as good. Serena Williams back in action. She'll play Georges G in her first round match. Coco Goff starts out her 2020 with a win over Kuzmova, 6-3-6-1. Obviously, the 15-year-old American captivated the minds and attention of all American tennis fans last season. So we'll all be monitoring how she progresses this year. Amanda Nisimova in the draw today. Uh, Jeannie Bouchard, a 7-5-7-5 win over Flipkins. Is 2020 going to be the year of Bouchard? I don't know, but she's 1-0, which is certainly better than she could say early on in the year. Uh, Caroline Garcia, a great three-set win, the number eight seed here over Taylor Townsend. Caroline Wozniacki, obviously beginning her final stretch of her career. She plays her again tomorrow. Uh, Tichman over Ivanov, number six seed. Peterson, a loser in her first match to Zdancic. Uh Number nine seed, CeCe Bellis loses 6-0, 6-4 to uh, Jessica Pegula, but I'm sure we're all happy just to see CeCe back in the draw. And then, of course, number two seed, Petra Marcic takes on Yusu Arcanada tomorrow in the action. So, really fun ATP events, uh, ATP, excuse me, really fun WTA events in both Auckland and Brisbane. Again, you're getting the top players in the world all in action, and we've missed this. This is what tennis is all about. And of course, our final WT event, the action in Shenzhen, number two seed Sabalenka, already a winner. She'll take on the other Pliskova in tomorrow's second round. Bondarenko is going to play Zhang, number three seed Mertens is going to play Wang. Uh, we've Rybakina, a three-set winner. She's going. Uh, she advances to the next round. The number five seed Alexandrova, a winner. She advances to the next round. The number four seed Wang, a winner. Six seed Muguruza, a three-set winner in her first match. Shelby Rockagers knocks off Nicole Gibbs in three seed, and then of course the number one seed Belinda Benchich yet to begin her campaign. But again, Benchich, Osaka, uh, Serena, Barty, Pliskova, all of the top WTA players in action this weekend. We will break down all of their results as we go later and later on throughout the week. We've also got, look, if ATP and WTA events aren't your thing, do I have a surprise for you? We at Crack Rackets, as I mentioned from the get-go, the official media partners of the Ann Arbor Challenger this week now. Professional tennis coming to my hometown was exciting enough, but the people at the Challenger have been kind enough. The Oracle Pro Series has been kind enough to let us do the play-by-play commentary for these matches. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I do have a real job, so I'm not going to be there all day for the early rounds. But we will be broadcasting all of the quarterfinals, all of the semifinals, and finals matches as well. Hopefully, we'll get some of these players to come into the booth with me. Um, I also ask you listeners, bear with me, you know, I do a pretty good Mike-cation impression, I'm pretty bald, I like to think I'm charmingly witty as well, just like him, but, uh, you know, it's it's my first time, so I'm, I'm very excited just to get the dry wraps up there. I'll try not to talk too much, but uh, if I am, listeners, please let me know via social media, at GreatShotPod, I'm sure I'll be monitoring all of it, because I'm an egomaniac, and I need to hear that criticism so that I can get better, so if you have any c- constructive, keep it constructive, you know, I don't want, eh, Look, I like being sworn at, so do what you got to do. But, uh, you know, I- I'm li- I'm excited for this. And I want to, you know, if you listeners are enjoying it, you have any things to say, just let us know. Let us ask, and we will do our best to help get all of this Ann Arbor Challenger content to you guys. Because, again, pro tennis in Ann Arbor. Like, I'm not going to be there, please. So really excited for that. Obviously, there are a couple of challengers going on in Australia as well as people get ready for the Australian Open Really fun time to be a tennis fan, and of course, if you've missed any of the action, you you know still want to do a little bit of off-season previewing, be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, where you can find all of our content, 
this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, where we've been in the midst of our College Contender Series. We've interviewed eight of the top ten coaches from last year's men's D1s team. We still have Wake Forest coach Tony Bruschi coming on this week. Texas men's tennis head coach defending national champion Bruce Burke coming on next week. And obviously Matt, Chris, and I will talk about those teams and preview them on our mini breaks later in the week. Uh, as I mentioned, it's a full schedule here this week. Tons of tennis to talk about, tons of things to keep you up to date with. And of course, we wouldn't be able to do that at Crack Records without the work of our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who, as always, have a f- of an editing job to do. But with that in mind, again, Ann Arbor Challenger, we will be live all week from there. So be sure to be on the lookout for those streams. Uh, mini breaks coming throughout the week as well. So from our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire team at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.